S-A-M-I-R-Y-E. Sammy Rye here with the 2022 Year in Review Award Show. We're going to give out awards for the most popular topics, the things that you guys like, the things you guys responded to the most, the things that trended. What was the best things to happen in 2022 in art, in business, TV, film, games? We have winners for all these categories decided by me based off of your analytics. And what's the best thing about Sammy Rye picking the winners and not having a vote, doing like a dictator? is I'm not going to make horrible lists like this one that I'm looking at online that says like the best film of the year was like the, the Frenchman. Like, don't, don't do that. We're not, you're not going to get that here, right? When someone's going to put Top Gun Maverick number five on their list and the other three films I never heard of and say that's the best thing to happen in 2022, sorry, that's not true. They do it all to be different. I'm giving you the meat and potatoes, the real deal. You're going to come every year and say, man, if I don't listen to any podcast episode from Sammy Wright all year long, I got to hear his year-end wrap-up because he's going to put 2022 in perspective, not just on those things, but also what are the best lessons I learned, not just from myself, but what I've seen people really grow spiritually, mentally, health-wise, happiness-wise. What really worked for people this year? What All the things we say, all the positive things, what really, really hit for them? We got it all. We wrote it all down. We got it all planned out. This is going to be the best episode of the year every year. It's going to be our year-end wrap-up. This is the first time I think we're doing this, but I'm, I'm excited. What are some of the things we're going to talk about? Just so you guys can know, I'm going to go over the list. Elden Ring, that was 2022. Top Gun Maverick. Unreal 5 came out. She-Hawk, the controversy. Better Call Saul. Fortnite got updated two times. Microsoft bought Bethesda. Ugh, gotta take a breath. Doctor Strange came out and taught the whole world what a multiverse concept was. He educated us on that. Spider-Man left the MCU forever and then came back forever. <laughs> the console wars ended. Or did they? So many things happened in 2022. Kanye West restored his legacy, then destroyed it. I got topics. I have references from all the podcasts we did this year. And it has been a doozy. 2022, that's what we're going to do. Year in review. It's going to be amazing. Stick with us here on the podcast. We're going to hop right into it. Now, when I say Spider-Man left and returned to MCU, this might not be something that you guys are all aware of. We need to look at 2022 in the beginning. Actually, technically, the very, very end of 2021 and what happened at the end of 2022, November. This took a whole calendar year, basically, to understand what happened here. So if you guys aren't aware, Spider-Man pretty much left the MCU or the MCU got ready to say bye-bye to Spider-Man, right? And there's a lot of things that were happening. This has probably been planted for a while, but there's been some back and forth arguments between Marvel and Sony for several years now on how much money Sony should be getting when Marvel makes movies, how much money Marvel should be getting when Sony makes movies, all this stuff to have Spider-Man be in the MCU, but Sony still retained the rights to Spider-Man and still get paid because he's a cash cow. He makes a lot of money, maybe arguably one of the most popular superheroes in the world, if not maybe the most popular superhero in the world. He's valued. The franchise was valued at $6 billion. Star Wars is valued at 4 So that, least that one character alone is, is technically on paper worth $2 billion more than the entire Star Wars franchise, at least when it was sold, right? That says a lot. And Sony doesn't want to give it back, and Marvel doesn't want to buy it. So it's it's been an interesting situation. And I believe the last Spider-Man film 
really set up for, you know, the whole world to forget about Spider-Man. If you guys haven't seen it yet, basically there's this plot point where the whole world is going to forget Spider-Man ever existed. Or they're going to forget who Spider-Man, like, Peter Parker is. They're not going to know everything Peter Parker actually did. Uh, Spider-Man still technically exists, but, like, they really set it up to be like, we're never going to talk about this character ever again. Maybe, right? Now, it was very interesting to me that in Wakanda Forever... There is a, a plot thread there that sets up a new relationship, a, a Peter Parker, Tony Stark-like relationship, possibly between the character Riri Williams, Ironheart, and the character Shuri, the new Black Panther, right? Um, that, that was a, 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 a dusting was placed in that film to show that moving forward, we don't need Spider-Man. Marvel can go ahead and make these films and have that relationship. They can keep doing it. They don't need to be stuck to just one person. And the week after Wakanda Forever came out and did a, a smash opening, Sony finally signed a deal allowing Spider-Man to continue to be in the MCU. Is that a coincidence? I'm saying it's not a coincidence. I'm saying it's 100% on purpose. I'm saying that that plot, that plot thread was not very strong in the film. So I know that Ryan Coogler made the film, and he kind of could do whatever he wants. But all the directors have these little things they have to do to move the overall Marvel Universe forward. And Riri's job in that film, she's not very integral to the core story. She's just there kind of to set up this new concept, this new character. And I believe that she 100% showed that not that she can be Spider-Man one day, but that Marvel doesn't need to have Spider-Man anymore. They've done that storyline. It's nice that they can keep using them. But they don't need to keep doing that. And I think that was one of the most amazing things that happened in 2022. Because now, hopefully for the foreseeable future, they continue to allow Spider-Man to be in the films. Hopefully Tom Holland keeps playing the character, adding more to that legacy. And we get to see a more mature version of that character. I would like to see the character do some new things in the MCU. But we're going to have to wait and see. But that was one of the most amazing things I think that happened with Spider-Man in the MCU this year. Another thing that happened was the console wars seemed to have ended earlier this year when Microsoft bought Bethesda and then all these lawyers got involved and it seems like the console wars might not be coming to an end. Originally, when they did that, Sony went out and bought, I believe they bought Destiny 2. And I was like, oh, okay, we're about to get competitive here. And then Sony called the cops, which, shame on you, Sony. I'm a Sony guy. I have the Sony stuff here in my house. I'm looking forward to the PlayStation VR. In a lot of ways, I don't have any reason to get rid of my PlayStation as my number one system. However, someone went and told the police, and, and they're getting involved. The law's getting involved here. And it seems like this Microsoft deal might not be able to go through. We're almost a calendar year in, and it's not really a done deal yet if Microsoft is allowed to buy Bethesda somehow, which... I feel like the deal was already done. I believe the money was exchanged. Somebody went out and bought themselves a house probably. I don't know if you can just walk this deal back, but it seems like Sony's trying to do everything they can and a few other companies legally to not let them buy Bethesda or at least to make it so Activision Bethesda's games aren't exclusive or it's illegal for them to be exclusive, which I think is kind of weird. Because in one way, I thought, wow, what a great move in business. Microsoft realizing this was a person to purchase. Their streaming service is really great. Um, they did a lot of great things. Microsoft did a lot of great things in business this year. And I feel like it's almost unfair that they can't continue to do good things, right? It's almost anti-American in some ways, right? If I'm going to go ahead and pull that card out there. Um, but it's, 
I, I kind of can see that a dark future could happen where Microsoft owns too much and they're too successful and then they're like charging us for a bunch of things. They've kind of done stuff like that in the past. I feel like recently they've been like the cool uncle and they've been doing a lot of cool things and making a lot of products with great value and, and they've been doing a really good job. And so I'm like, oh, moving into the future, maybe this might be a good thing. And Sony has enough stuff. They'll be okay. But they really have been crying uh, about this stuff. Their, their, their statements in court and stuff, when I read these things, I mean, being a guy from the city, I feel like they're kind of snitching. Like, it's just not something. It's not a cool look, Sony. I thought you were the cool guys. And now you're upset that Microsoft went and bought Activision Bethesda. And really, this is all over Call of Duty. You'll be fine. You bought Destiny. Make a good shooter. This is a situation where you guys got to step it up. It shouldn't be just Bethesda making awesome RPGs. What, what happened to Sony making these great Japanese RPGs or at least buying the companies and acquiring the companies or working with the companies that make great Japanese RPGs? Like, why don't you guys buy Square Enix? Why don't you guys make some things exclusive to your system? That's not happening, right? And the last game, I believe, the Marvel game, you guys got Spider-Man. So you went ahead and put Spider-Man exclusive to the, the Marvel Avengers game only on the PlayStation, some people at Microsoft thought that was real messed up, right? They have the game, too. They invested a lot of money in that game, and now they can't play with Spider-Man? That's kind of messed up, right? But that's something Sony did. So, like, there's a small little thing Sony's always done, and now that Microsoft pulled out the checkbook and went and bought Activision Bethesda, you guys went and ratted on them, and I feel like that's not cool. I'm still all in on Sony. I, I, I think the Sony could always last. I don't think it's really going to be, like, over. I just felt like Microsoft put themselves in the position for the next 10 years to be the place that you need to have an Xbox in your house. You can have whatever else you want to also, but that was going to be their move, and, and Sony called the police on them, and I'm, I'm upset with them about that. And Nintendo did nothing. They no-showed this year. They did almost absolutely nothing. I think they really rested on the fact that Pokemon came out. Pokemon, I think, Sapphire and Violet came out, which reinvigorated. I think a lot of people's interest in Pokemon. I've seen a lot of people talking about Pokemon but I, I still feel like this is a, a really low year for, for Nintendo. I don't know if they're gearing up for a new system. They probably should be. Um, I don't know if there's a, a new, a better version of the Switch. The Switch is a weird system because it's, it's good. When you play it, you don't feel like you need to update those games. Those graphics are fine, so maybe they don't need a new Nintendo. It's just there's nothing to talk about. There's not a lot of like interesting, exciting games coming out for them. Even Pokemon, like, I could go get that Pokemon game, but, I mean, I have Pokemon games. Do I really need a new Pokemon game? I've heard for some people the new one may be, like, the best one ever. Um, it's a dream come true and all these magical things. But, like, Nintendo has to get out of this space where they make, like, one great game a year and then that's it, right? I think 2021, I think, was Animal Crossing, I feel like. Maybe that was 2020. But, like, Nintendo has to do more than what they're doing. So they're not even in the conversation there always will be a, a peripheral, a, a handheld system. They have a very unique space they've been able to occupy, but I don't consider them really a part of the console wars. I think there always will be just that other option there for you, and that's fine. Um, but Sony, I think Sony's going to be the place for VR. Uh, that should be cool. They should be doubling down into that. I mean, when it comes to the home consoles, I don't see people going out and spending $1,000, you know, $500 on a MetaQuest Pro headset. That's not going to happen. Not, not a lot of people. So I can see a lot of people getting into VR when it comes to the home console on PlayStation. And they've invested heavily in VR. So they, they have that going for themselves. They have that going into the future. I don't know if Microsoft is ever going to really get into the VR space. And if they do, they're going to be kind of late. They're going to be really behind Sony in that space. Um, so at buying Activision Bethesda, 
I feel like a lot of weights ended the console wars, and Sony kind of proved it by calling the cops and, you know, basically complaining about it and trying to stop the deal um, instead of being competitive, and I don't like that. I'm not for ever seeing that, so console wars ended, it seemed like, but it didn't really end, and yeah, I don't, I don't know how I really feel about that whole thing. Um, I, I mean, I, I'm going to get an Xbox because if Bethesda makes any of their games, Starfield or any of their RPG games exclusive, I have to have an Xbox in my house. That's the law. I just got to have an Xbox. I got to play Bethesda RPGs. They are the best video games made. I have a laptop just to play Fallout with mods, Skyrim with mods, and The Sims with mods. That's the only, The Sims is another horrible game. I don't even want to really get into it. I was actually thinking about them this morning as that game has really, really fallen off the map. Um, it has not been what it should have been. I, I really invested heavily in The Sims, thinking it was going to be, you know, a game moving into the future and excited to see what happened with The Sims 6. But they've, like, released, like, cottages and, like, dust dusting pans. Like, the most weirdest things they released this year. Nothing to talk about when it comes to The Sims. Um, so, yeah, I don't know what's going to happen with that game or if that's going to be anything. But Activision Bethesda makes the best RPGs. So, if that's where they're at and they're over there on Xbox, I got to get an Xbox and Sony, you got to step it up, man. You got to find some things going on. Really bad year. Um, in that sense for it, I'm looking forward to, you know, 2023 and PlayStation VR. Um, but even that, can you guys get them in the homes? Already I'm seeing these issues with the res reservations and buying them online. You can't buy them in the store. Scalpers, all the same stuff that dealt with, with the system. As a consumer, it's tiring. I shouldn't have to jump through all these hoops, hoops to do all this stuff. I mean, again, I feel like in that point, like the Switch wins, right? Like it's just like, yeah, go buy a Switch. No one cares. Um, but apparently getting your hands on Sony products, like one of the hardest things that you can do in the future, right? So yeah, I think the console wars, I'm not really that interested in that conversation anymore. We'll have to see how many people can even get their hands on a PlayStation VR and if people are ready to move into VR. I think they should be, but I don't know if consumer habits are going to shift that way next year. Now, another amazing thing is that Doctor Strange taught the entire world what a multiverse was. And we need to remember this happened in 2022. In 2021, the modern audience, the modern people, the general populace did not know what a multiverse was. They had no understanding of the concept. And what they did with Doctor Strange multiverse, besides making a movie, is they taught everyone what a multiverse is, right? There's been other films that have touched on this. But Doctor Strange being such a success, one of those kind of movies that gets parodied, people talk about it. You see now lots of other, so many other games, so many other uh, shows and stuff are now opening up to this idea that, oh yeah, there's a multiverse or there's another version of it. It's like a trend, right? Kind of, I feel like it's almost like what happened when Walking Dead reminded the world what zombies were. Like, I think people didn't know what zombies were for a while or something like that. And Walking Dead was like, hey, remember, remember zombies? Um, and then like everyone started doing zombies after that. Now everyone's talking about the multiverse. And I think that it has to be something we, we stop and remember that in 2022, that's not what everybody was talking about. And Doctor Strange taught the whole world that is. And that, that's a good thing for, I don't know if they'll use it or not, but James Gunn in DC, they actually invented the multiverse concept when at least in popular, pop culture, when they did it in the DC comics, Crisis on Infinite Earths, that was their idea first, and then Marvel eventually copied it. But now, because of these movies, Marvel has switched the, switched the tables. They beat them to it. They, DC was going to do a Flashpoint movie for a long time. They never did it. I think it might be coming out in June. I'm not sure if June 2023, if they're finally going to show up with their multiverse movie. 
But it seems like since James Gunn and and uh, Peter Safran, I believe his last name is, took over DC, they are they're in a, a rebuilding phase. I don't think we're going to see a Flashpoint in twenty twenty three, and if we do. That would be amazing if in six months they can take over and get all those actors in place and sign on and scheduling and get everybody filmed and all of a sudden into a good Flashpoint movie by June. I don't think that's going to happen. I cannot, I cannot see that happening at all. Um, so I don't think that movie is going to be about Flashpoint. Perhaps they'll make show some multiverse stuff in there, but uh, I don't know. I don't even know if they plan on using that Flash anymore. I think some of the biggest things that happened with DC at the end of the, of the year was the mix-up with Henry Cavill, either being Superman, not being Superman. I think they don't want to say that the entire DCU is over. I think that's something we're not going to actually hear them say until next August, next September. Maybe not even till 2024, when there's maybe a trailer for an actual new Superman movie. I think they're going to kind of be coy about this all year long. Different actors, the way they've talked about it, they talked about it differently. Um, I, when I first read, you know, the rock statement, the the Dwayne Johnson statement, I didn't think that he was saying that he was no longer black Adam. I thought he was just saying that black Adam wasn't going to be the first movie in James Gunn's version of the DCU. It seems like maybe he was actually saying he's no longer black Adam, which sucks because out of all the stuff DC did, I actually enjoyed black Adam. I watched it again the other day. It holds up. It holds up to repeat viewings. It's a fun movie. And I wanted to kind of see where else they went with it. It was a movie that didn't have a lot to work with, kind of like Suicide Squad 2, very self-contained to this one character, this one area of the world, almost like they didn't want him to touch anything else in the store and make sure he didn't mess anything up. And I think with that, he, he did all that. There's a lot of other movies that get a lot of uh, you know um, help from other characters, big events, and all that stuff, and they're still not good. Right, so I feel like you look at like Batman versus Superman. You know, there's a lot going on there. You got your best characters here, and there's a, there's a lot of things that are left to be desired when it comes to that film. Um, you have, um, you know, you know other other DC movies. I, even like Suicide Squad one. I feel like some of the problems there is you throw in Joker and you think, oh, I have Joker here to help me do some heavy lifting, and it doesn't really hit. Right, so I think that is a credit to the the, the other Joker movie with Joaquin Phoenix where it's just him in the film, and that film was more well-received. So it's harder to do that when you're by yourself this day and age because there's so much spectacle from cameos and all the other people. And Black Adam took all these characters we didn't know and made a good movie. It made a decent movie. I, I, I mean, I, don't, I can't see anyone saying it's a bad movie, so I enjoyed it. I, I watched it again. I've already seen it two or three times. Very enjoyable film. Um, and it's a shame that he might not be moving forward into the DCU, and that DCEU, or whatever they're calling it. But... I think if they do a Flashpoint and a multiverse, all that stuff was set up by Doctor Strange. He's explained that to the world. It'd be a lot easier to digest. I think if you see The Rock show up again in a future film, which I think is very likely if they decide they want to use Black Adam again down the road, then you got you to gotta always look back and now applaud and give Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness credit for doing that in 2022. They taught the whole world that. And that wasn't something everyone already understood. Um, another funny thing that happened this year in video games was Elden Ring kind of came and went. It was a phenom. It was one of the biggest things, I feel like, since Animal Crossing or Squid Games. I feel like everyone in the world all of a sudden was talking about Elden Rings for like a month, maybe two weeks, and then no one ever talked about Elden Ring ever again. I remember not even knowing what it was, being confused by it. If you don't know what it is, there's there's these series of really hard games. They're known for being hard games. 
They're like Dark Souls and Bloodborne. It's a whole genre of video games where you're supposed to die and basically try again. And the more you die, the more you'll learn. And it's a, they're like hard games. But they actually have this pretty interesting artwork and weird, obscure storytelling they do that's intriguing if you get into it, right? And then you have George R. Martin who does um, Game of Thrones. And those two teams got together and made a game called Elden Ring. And I played Elden Ring after everyone was just yelling at me, basically, or the whole world couldn't stop talking about Elden Ring at the beginning of 2022. I said, well, let me go try it. I did not like the hard games. I wasn't really good at them, but I, I forced myself to try it. And some of the most beautiful artwork and creative storytelling exist in the game Elden Ring. Do I recommend you go play it? Not necessarily, because it's really hard. It's still really hard, um, but it is beautiful. It's a game that's fun to watch, like a great person play on YouTube almost, right? Like it kind of is a game that has to be a game that's fun to watch on Twitch because uh, it's so hard to play, but it's so beautiful and it is great interacting with it. And when you get to the point where you do beat a boss, you overcome a challenge, it is a great feeling, um, but it's a very rare video game. And it's cool to see something that artistic and that creative come out in 2022 but it's weird that no one's talking about it anymore. Because I feel like most people got, you realize, oh, why, 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 this looks great. I suck at it and I can't play it anymore. So like no one talks about it again. And that's a shame. I think I even saw a quote from the creator of Elden Ring. One of the creators saying they didn't even understand why it became so popular this year. <laughs> Which I thought was an amazing quote from them. To so be like, yeah, I don't even know why everyone likes our game this much. Um, I'm sure they wanted people to like it. But what, a, what an honest comment to make, because I also, too, was confused. Like, why is all of a sudden everyone excited by it? I don't know if it was just because George R. Martin's name was attached to it, um, but even a lot of the imaginative things, I don't know what he contributed to the storytelling because I went and then got into Bloodborne and tried some of the older games, and they've already been creating amazing, weird worlds in those games. So I'm sure he did something to it, and I'm sure his, his hand is there, but I feel like a lot of credit has to go to the actual people making the game. And that kind of makes more sense to me, too. Because I feel like his name being there, maybe they wrote some story or some characters together, came up with some ideas, got his name on the title. But, like, the world is very similar to Bloodborne and, and all the other things they've done before. So when it comes to, like, those stunning visuals and creative characters and weird magics and spells and all kinds of things, um, I really feel like that was already in the Souls games. And the more credit probably should go to the makers of those games. But yeah, I would love to play Elden Ring and get back into it. I had recently downloaded on the PS5 again to see how it looks. I'm sure it'll be beautiful, but I can't play it. Like, I know I'm going to get into it and just start, you know, getting demolished by these monsters and these creatures. Um, but it's super fun. So if you guys haven't tried it, you definitely should try it. So Kanye West had a documentary come out about him. And it, this wasn't... He didn't do this, but Netflix did this. He had a friend who recorded a three-part documentary about his entire life. It's one of the most amazing documentaries ever made because it's rare that somebody would record someone before they were famous, then when they were famous, then kind of towards the end of their career where perhaps they're fading a little bit. That's never been done before. You would have to know with 100% certainty that your friend or someone you know is going to be famous to start recording a lot of footage um, and this guy had a lot of footage. It's weird to see so much of someone's life in a show with actual footage and references and a narrative of someone telling you what was going on. Um, it's crazy. 
And I remember Kanye didn't want the documentary to come out. I think eventually it came out. I think eventually he saw what the guy had done with it and he was okay with it. And and then and it kind of for me, in a lot of ways, restored a lot of Kanye's legacy and reminded me why he was so great, what he contributed, all these amazing things. That was in the beginning of 2022. And at that point, I was on Kanye's side again. And I was thinking, yeah, this guy, he's misunderstood, but you know, he's proven in the past, he's done great things, and he's gonna continue to do great things. Then came the end of 2022, and for some reason, Kanye West couldn't help himself, and he did everything he could in his power to destroy his legacy once again. Now, I want to be fair here, and I'm sure there's going to be, if Kanye was here, he would say, you know what, no, it's not me, it's like the system and stuff. Yeah, it could be. I don't know. I don't know, man. I don't know. All I know is by the end of 2022, it seems like Kanye West's whole legacy situation is over. And I don't think it's like a cancel Kanye West kind of thing. It just seems like this guy does not understand how to handle social media properly, right? Like, I mean, it's not that hard to stop saying negative stuff on every single platform you can get your hands on every time you get your hands on the platform. Um, you know, when I hear conspiracies, people saying like, oh, someone got killed and they're replaced by a clone. I would kind of hope at this point that that's true when it comes to Kanye West, because I feel like there's something going on here that's bigger than we understand. A lot of people have cried that maybe the guy has you know serious mental health issues and needs help, and obviously he's you know very powerful and has a lot of money and things, so it's probably hard to take a person like that and get them that help if that's the case. But yeah, it's pretty hard to defend anything Kanye West has done over the last the end of 2022, um, and it's a shame because as I look back at the podcast, I think wow, beginning of 2022, that I think the Kanye West faith was at an all time high. It was been restored by that documentary. I think for most people, and obviously it's it's at an all-time low by the end of the year. So looking back at the year, that's another polarizing thing where, you know, it was something that was really, really high. At this point, it's kind of a low. Then that also reminds me of the next thing is this was the first year I and a lot of people I know stepped into VR, stepped into the metaverse, gave it a taste, and it tasted good. It tasted really good. Really digital goodness on my palate. VR, at the end, beginning of the year, I was really hyped about it. And I played it a lot for about three months. And that's not to say that eventually it died off. Not saying that. In my personal life, I moved. I had a lot of personal things going on. I didn't have time for it. But at the end of the year, I started giving VR a taste again. And it tasted just as good. It actually got a little bit better. And some very serious games, basically Bone Labs and Iron Man VR, came to the MetaQuest. If you guys don't know, MetaQuest 2, that's like the mobile version of VR. It's not the real deal VR. It's not a video game console level VR. It's not a PC level VR. However, Facebook has put a lot of money into getting the best mobile style games and some console level games. That, that Iron Man VR is a console level game with a bit of the graphical downgrade and stuff like that to make it fit. But you still get to experience those big games. Um, you get to experience what it's like to be Iron Man. Uh, and Bone Labs is a game that really shows off how you can do all these different things in VR, from like shooting to stabbing to rolling and all, all this stuff, kind of stuff you can do. Um, Bone Labs is less of a game, more of an experiment, and then they made it into a game, and it was extremely popular on the computer, and they got that onto the MetaQuest 2. So VR is kind of at an all-time high in that sense. I didn't get to play a lot of it at the end of the year, but recently I got to touch it again, and it's really good. And it really, really makes me know, moving into 2023, the VR is going to be something that's only increasing. Thinking about something like Elden Rings, I would love 
to be able to be like a ghost flying on the wall, watching other players play Elden Rings, like being in the game with them, being the cameraman, right? Remember like Mario 64, you can be the cloud with a camera, that little guy floating in the cloud. I want to be that guy in Elden Rings. I want to fly around in first person view and see that amazing world, amazingly, amazingly crafted world. There's a Final Fantasy fishing VR experience, an underwater VR experience that came out for the PlayStation VR 1 I always wanted to see because I loved Final Fantasy fishing. Fishing in Final Fantasy 15 was like a little game you could play, but the fish were amazing and you could cook them into this food that looked amazing. I remember wanting to be there in that world. Final Fantasy 15's world is amazing and I wanted to try it in VR, never could. That's one of the first things I want to try when I get PlayStation VR 2 is the Final Fantasy fishing game. And that's the cool thing about VR is being able to have these experiences Oh, excuse me. And hop into these worlds where you get to see these things that you normally don't see. That, I think, is something that people don't understand. And, you know, it's coming. It's not stopping. It's only getting better. And there's a lot of money being involved in it. I don't believe so much. I feel like this is kind of a rough year with their, their announcement of their $1,500 VR headset, the MetaQuest Pro, which is pretty much, my understanding, a PlayStation you know, 5 on your face or whatever. Um, but it's... It's really expensive. I kind of feel like, you know, people would probably get a computer and then VR. But I guess if you want to get a powerful computer and VR, you might be looking at maybe $2,000, $2,500. So maybe that's not the case. If you really don't want a console for some reason and you want to have that MetaQuest experience, I guess they have to give you that option. But um, I don't know. It's just it's such a heavy price tag. And maybe it's one of those things like the PlayStation VR 1. Or maybe this timeout... It's not going to be the thing to get, but I feel like if they can get that price point, maybe down to like an iPad level, like a thousand dollars, a thousand, I don't know. And, and really like it needs a payment plan. They need to hook up with a mobile carrier or something, something where you can get your hands on that thing and not have to fork over that much money up front. VR is a, is a very, um, unusual territory. So I know there's MetaQuest users who already have games then they might go get it. If they say, you know what, I love playing poker um, in VR and I want more VR, but I'm not, I don't feel like getting a video game console or computer, they might get it and maybe they're expecting those kind of people to transition over and move into that space. So like the hardcore VR veterans that only play Oculus Quest 2 or the MetaQuest 2, maybe they'll move into the Pro. Um, but I don't think that's for the masses. I think for the masses, it's still going to be MetaQuest Pro. And if you got a PlayStation... PlayStation VR 2 is going to be the place to be. That's going to be some of the, some of the coolest gaming there. Once some of the other bigger games start incorporating VR, if Grand Theft Auto 6 announces they're going to have a VR component, um, even if they don't have it at launch, if they have it later, if Fortnite adds a VR component, um, it's just going to be amazing. The, 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 I was in this uh, holiday world today in Fortnite, and I really just wish I could put down a controller and like, walk around in VR. Because I didn't even want to play. I just wanted to look at what these people had made. There's so many beautiful places, amazing locations that people make in Fortnite creative mode. Sometimes I don't want to shoot anybody and play. I just want to walk around and just look at it in first person. Because they're making little worlds, little pocket worlds. And you have all these different creators you know, showing with their ideas of a little pocket world. And um, it's, it's frankly, it's staggering. I, can't, I, I never talk enough about Fortnite and Fortnite creative and what they're doing. But VR is going to open up an entirely new dimension to how we experience that kind of stuff. And I'm really looking forward to it. Um, speaking of Fortnite, 
Unreal 5 came out in 2022, and Fortnite got two major upgrades. It got its first upgrade when it added new physics and new graphics. Spider-Man came into the game that season, um, and I thought at that point, we're moving into Fortnite Part 3. But then, surprise, surprise, Epic Unreal, Unreal Engine got a big update, and then like two seasons later, Fortnite moved to Chapter 4. Now, in my mind, when they moved to different chapters, or yeah, the different chapters, the chapters and seasons, how they do it. When they went to Chapter 4, that became Fortnite 4. So, like, Fortnite 3 was out for, like, six months. And I don't know if this is a sign of things to come. Like, if every time they do a major upgrade to Unreal, we're going to get a major upgrade to Fortnite. But I haven't seen some people, I didn't necessarily agree, but some people were saying in some screenshots of Fortnite, it looked photorealistic. That's, that's, it's, it's, a, it's a cartoony game. I think what they were trying to say is that there's so much more variety to the trees and the lighting and the map when you're playing it. It has, for a cartoony game, it has so many more features you would see in a more, in a better looking realistic game. So it's in this weird space now um, where it looks great no matter how you, you cut it. And um, yeah, and it's, it keeps getting upgrades. They added dirt bikes. They added the Rocket League car. They have great physics for both of those vehicles. They're fun. So it's not something like you're going to go in Fortnite and play, you know, Need for Speed like racing necessarily. But the, the, the cars work and they're fun. It's a fun racing experience, much like Ready Player One, which a lot of people are comparing it more and more and more and more and more to Ready Player One because it seems like they're going completely down that route, just having fun styles of games. So they're not trying to be Gran Turismo when it comes to racing, but they want to be one of the most fun places you can play with vehicles, right? So you have your, your monster truck. They can plow through buildings, which is always satisfying. Running through a house, a living room, and destroying every single object with your monster truck, you can do that. You got this, this dirt bike you can do tricks on. You can bounce around on that. And you got the Rocket League car that you can drive and fly and grip onto the ceiling and drive. all. It's an amazing vehicle. They're fun vehicles. They're vehicles you're not going to see in other games. That's the kind of stuff that makes Fortnite stand out. That's when Fortnite's at its best, when it's doing its own thing and making a very unique, fun world. Got to check out Fortnite Creative if you haven't seen it and seen what they got going on with Unreal. We're going to hit the commercial break, but when we get back, a few more topics, and I'm giving out my awards. I'm giving out the official awards. If you didn't see these things in 2022, these are the things you missed. You do not want to miss these things. You're going to want to tell your friends. Sammy Wright did the best breakdown. And when I think about 2022, he encapsulated it all in a podcast. We got more to talk about as soon as we get back from this commercial break. Now, around October, I did a podcast talking about there was just too much entertainment, too many things to watch. So much stuff on streaming, so many movies. I could not find the time to catch up. I felt like I was constantly falling behind, constantly in threat of getting um, you know, caught up in some sort of spoiler. And here we are at the end of the year, and there is nothing on TV. There's nothing anywhere to watch anywhere. It is fairly frustrating. We are completely out of entertainment. I don't know what happened. It was so fast. And it's really made me think that maybe we got to stop binging. As much as I like binging, some shows I feel like they need to get binged. I was not crazy about this season of Yellowstone. Um, I feel like nothing's going on in the show. So I stopped watching it, figured I'll go back and binge that later. I watched great, great shows this year, week to week, like Better Call Saul and White Lotus uh, season two. And they were great watching them week to week. Every episode was so good. But some TV... You know, every episode isn't good. Sometimes they do these cliffhangers and stuff, and it makes it exhausting trying to wait two or three weeks just to get to a point. 
Um, so some shows you got to binge them. But I felt like in October in 2022, there was so much content, it was just impossible to keep up. And now there's absolutely nothing left, which is my fault. I know. Um, I've had to have divvied it out. But then again, you know, there's a spoiler embargo, I think, that lasts for like two weeks on the Internet's minds and in people's minds socially um, for most things. You kind of got a week sometimes before people start spoiling things. So I think it's kind of a catch-22 where you, you feel pressure to, you know, get these things done and, and watch them, especially if you're going to talk to people about them. And I like talking to people about all kinds of things, right? Podcasts and stuff like that. This comes up in all kinds of conversations. So it's weird. I don't know how we can solve that problem. If there can be a better balance or release schedule, it seems like everyone got out the way for Avatar 2 as if we'd be watching it 24-7 because that's the only thing that's out right now, even on streaming. I feel like nothing wanted to get near Avatar 2 um, or something because there's nothing out. It's kind of hard to believe that there's nothing I can even think to look forward to in the upcoming weeks. Um, yeah, that's it. So <laughs> from a really, really high, you know, content, I think I think the year was pretty steady with stuff and releases. And this has gotten really slow this year. So I don't know if it's because of the holidays. I don't know if that's typical. But man, I feel like it is dry out there. Um, and that happened really, really fast. Um, <laughs> the other thing I want to look back on this year was She-Hawk. She-Hawk was a show that I really enjoyed. And I talked about it a lot in the podcast. And the, in the aftermath of She-Hulk, now at the end of the year, I don't know. It's kind of hard for me to really gauge, you know, what the people really think versus what people on the internet think. For example, you know, if my wife and people in my home watch She-Hulk, they don't spend time on the internet talking about how much they loved it. But people who don't like She-Hulk love to go on the internet and talk about how much they don't like it. Or people who hated that, basically. I mean, <laughs> that's what I mean to say. Like, So it's hard to kind of gauge how many people are out there really you know, don't like She-Hulk or the message and stuff like that it had, um, the women empowerment stuff, you know, all these things I've seen people take issue with where I thought She-Hulk was phenomenal. I thought the way that they handled breaking the fourth wall was really cool. I thought, again, that was Marvel showing that they don't have to do everything around Deadpool. They could do that with other characters. Someone told me, I'm not 100% sure, that She-Hulk was actually breaking the fourth wall before Deadpool. That's kind of a thing she used to do. I don't know. I'm not sure. Um, I enjoyed it. I felt like, you know, hey, if you're going to you know put that kind of an attribute onto a character, sure, put it on She-Hulk. I thought they did it well on that show. I thought I had a lot of fun watching that show. Um, you know, Miss Marvel was a show that some people didn't like because it was aimed at kids. But overall, I think people liked that show. Um, and me personally, I, I still haven't finished Miss Marvel. I've seen most of it, but um, I found it a little bit interesting. And I was looking forward to that show because I, I liked the Marvel Avengers game. And she's the main character in that game. I like the story they introduced for her a lot. And it just seemed like on the show, again, maybe it was just aimed too much at kids. I don't know. Um, I did love Wednesday a lot this year. And I guess that's not really aimed at kids. I guess that's aimed more at 30-something people with the, some like elements in there for younger people. But I mean, they obviously know we're the audience that know the character. So it's kind of a weird in-between kind of show. I think that's kind of more like Sabrina. Sabrina, I think, also was aimed at like people in their late 20s, 30s that know Sabrina, that know Ridgedale, but also it's kind of fresh. They made it a little bit fresh for some people that are younger too, of course. There's elements there for it. But yeah, She-Hulk I thought was great. I had a lot of fun. Um, you know, and there's nothing but rumors out, you know, that there may not be a season two or she might not get a movie. I don't really know where she's going next, but I definitely hope she shows up 
Um, I thought Daredevil was good on that show, and maybe she shows up in Daredevil's show. I think that would be cool. Um, but yeah, I think they also did a lot of amazing things with her CGI and stuff. It wasn't always perfect. And what I think I understand is that they use a different CGI company for like every other episode because they need them all to work on the CGI at the same time to get the whole show done. So you can't have like one company do all seven episodes or whatever. It would take too long. Um, so you might have those kind of situations. But overall, with all those things considered, these guys are pioneering TV in a way that, you know, if you were saying James Cameron's Avatar is pioneering movies, um, I've heard mixed things about that. But I'm definitely on the TV and that TV space with that timeline and coming out in between other shows and everything. It's amazing what Marvel's able to pull off with that CGI. So I like She-Hulk. I thought it was a big thing. And um, that's my wrap up pretty much of all the things that happened this year. And we're going to hop into the awards. That's right. Sammy Rye's giving out the awards. There was no voting because my answer is the only right answer. We used to skip all that voting. It's none of that fluff stuff where you got paid off or they, they're adding some other really artsy thing that no one cared about and trying to make it seem like it was a winner. No, I'm giving you from the, the results I've seen, from the activity I've seen on the podcast, from all my experiences this year, from all the word of mouth, what was the best in entertainment? What was the best in art? What was the best in business? And my little extra thing I'm throwing in there, it was the most valuable lesson I learned from 2022. These are the four awards that we're doing this year. Maybe next year we'll introduce some more awards, but this, that's where I'm going with this year. And let's see what we're going to start with here. Let's just get the maybe the least valuable one to everyone is the, the lesson I learned this year, right? Just a personal lesson. The award for best personal lesson <laughs> or the most, most memorable thing I learned from 2022 is reconnect with people. 2022 for me was the year of reconnection. When I wrote down a list of my achievements and my accomplishments for the year. I had some things on there like starting my YouTube show. I had some things like, you know, getting to the second year of the podcast. Um, I had a lot more things in writing. I've been doing a lot more drawing. And I'm, I'm ramping up to start getting back into directing. But honestly, the thing I did the most this year that really I thought was a great thing was forgiving people. And not just forgiving them. Not everyone needed my forgiveness. But also like me letting go of, of the past and me having a, an, a space, creating a space and being open to the idea of letting people back into my life and reconnecting with them. Um, it's opened up you know, a, new, a new part of my life where me and some of my best friends I had growing up have a chance now to see if we can rebuild and move into the future as more mature people and learning new things. I, I'm not saying go out there and reconnect with everybody. I've done it one at a time, little by little, you know, going through the list of people that I thought that, you know, I wanted to see if there was still anything left. And so far, every experience has been a great experience. I feel really fortunate to have had talking to the people and hung out with the people. And I look forward to doing it even more in 2023. Um, it's been awesome. So if you guys have anybody out there that you sometimes are thinking about it, if it's someone you think, no, I'm never going to talk to them again, definitely not, then it's probably not worth it. But all those people that you had on that list of, I don't know, maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't, I think if you can, if they can, if you guys can find some kind of common ground, if they're open to it, try. Give, them a, give it a shot. It's better to have more in your life than have less, if possible. I'm not saying let toxic people, abusive people, people that hurt you back into your life. I'm not saying that. But if you have any of those situations where you're on the fence and maybe there's a way you can go about it, perhaps it can't be how it was, but you might be able to make something new. I recommend it. So that was my lesson for 2022. If I wrote that down in the books and I'm let my kids know, hey, what did I learn? In my late 30s or my mid-30s or whatever, 
I learned that, you know, sometimes if you have an opportunity, you should go ahead and try to reconnect with people. Um, you know, if they're out there, it's, it's worth it, in my opinion. I've had a great year. And out of all the things I've done, you know, the relationships I've been able to start looking at, putting back together has definitely been the highlight of 2022, something I'm really happy with. Um, the award for art, right? We like to say the podcast is about art and business, right? And art could be a lot of things. It could be a poem. It could be, you know, a, a really good story. It could be a great album. It could be a beautiful video game. It could be an amazing movie. Um, I also have an award for entertainment because that's a little bit different. When I talk about art, it should be something that's beautiful, something that's inspiring, something that makes you, you know, feel fascinated again, makes you feel like there's some magic left in the world, right? Makes you think about things that you haven't seen. And that award, the Samurai, that podcast Samurai Award for 2022 for the, the best piece of art, the most artistic thing, most beautiful art endeavor. I don't know what we're going to call the award exactly. We're going to clean that name up. But, um... It's going to go to Elden Ring. When I look back over the 2022 year, nothing stood out to me more artistically than Elden Ring. Elden Ring's a video game, but you would still be enjoying yourself if you found a book of concept art, if you found pictures online, if you watched someone else play the video of it on Twitch or you know showed you highlights. A lot of great videos people have made breaking down the story. There's so many amazing original ideas that are inspiring. I can just look at Elden Ring for about 10, 15 minutes and I can get a hundred new story ideas pop into my mind based on some of the most imaginative things I have seen in a long time. It reminds me of Never Ending Story as a child. Even when I go back and watch Never Ending Story, that movie is just so imaginative. There's so many ideas in there that aren't obvious, They're not the typical cliche things. And Elden Ring, around every corner, it seems like there's some kind of weird, abstract idea. It's kind of like storytelling where you, you do something and the story reveals itself. It's not always like someone talking to you. Um, it's something that, like, I think they call it emergent storytelling, where, like, why what you do kind of reveals a story. And what you think the story's about might be different than what I think the story's about. Um, and it's, been, it's one of the most creative things ever. It made me go look into one of the older games from that series, which is Bloodborne. And Bloodborne didn't come out this year, but Bloodborne is also extremely imaginative. Um, I really would love to just understand more about all the Dark Soul games. And I'm going to try to, little by little, because it's a lot. I still don't even grasp everything in Elden Ring. It's a huge, huge game. Just the beginning areas, you can be spent, you spend hours getting lost in it, trying to get past the characters. And I have looked at videos, some of the more, you know, advanced zones. And man, it's just the imagination from that team behind Elden Ring is just something, it's just something that has to be said. The art is just phenomenal. Some of the most cutting edge stuff. And I think if you look at, you know, some of the stuff that comes out, people say it's kind of regurgitated or it's the same kind of thing they were used to saying. Um, Elden Ring is completely cutting edge. It's on its own out there. You know, past past years, Warframe is another thing I would mention that I think also inspires a lot of creativity. Um, but Warframe didn't come out in 2022. So yeah, I have to go with Elden Ring. That's going to get the award on that podcast, Simurai, for the most artistic, most ambitious, beautiful, artistic thing I've seen this year. And that's how we, if it was a trophy, we'd write all 55 of those words onto the title because that's, that's what the trophy is going to say. Um, honorable mentions, I think, well... I guess honorable mentions I would have to say, 
I like a lot of Fortnite stuff, and I feel like it'd be unfair. I'd be a bit biased if I gave it to Fortnite. But really, with Fortnite having two major visual upgrades, with so many items they've added to the creative, and then so many people in the community taking those items and mixing them and making so many amazing worlds, so many cool characters, it has to be mentioned. Really, if you stop and you look through some of the old characters, that they, they still cycle them, they still sell them. There's so much art. There's so many ideas inside Fortnite. Again, it's, as a live service game, it's always updating. Um, I believe that's an honorable mention. Its story this year had some highs and had some lows, um, but it had a lot of story because it's, it's constantly going on all year long. But again, that's an honorable mention for that, that, that award. Elden Ring is going to be number one in that situation. Um, now, when it comes to business... The award for business I'm giving out to this year is going to still be Microsoft. I mentioned today on the podcast, Microsoft's had some setback with their Activision, Bethesda deal. But in the world of video games, in the world of business, I haven't seen someone really make a power play, an acquisition, really you know, take their money and try to really do something devastating in their sector and what they're trying to do. And Microsoft trying to purchase Activision, Bethesda, even if it doesn't go through, that, that was a big move. That was a big, we are here to be the dominating force in, in what we do moving forward. Um, if you don't know video games, that would be, in my mind, like, you know, if, if Disney, Marvel went ahead and tried to buy DC, right? I've seen some people explaining how that was definitely possible, how it could have happened. Um, they've made other big acquisitions in the past. And, um, you know, trying to do that and dominate that comic book genre that's the kind of move it is by them, by, by Microsoft trying to get Activision Bethesda. Because Activision Bethesda, they're in charge of World of Warcraft, which is arguably still maybe the biggest online video game on computers. They're in charge of Call of Duty, which is arguably probably the biggest shooting franchise. Maybe not even arguably. Maybe it is just hands down the biggest shooting franchise on all in all gaming. Um, and then you have, you know, in my opinion... When it comes to RPGs, I don't think anything is bigger than Skyrim. Um, and then right behind it, number two is Fallout, which is also made by Bethesda. So you have just three or four massive dominating franchises in that company. And Microsoft buying them to make their games exclusive and to make them exclusive probably to their online streaming service for games. I think that really puts them in the future to be the Netflix of video game streaming on-demand games in the future. Um, you know, if the deal doesn't go through, it's, 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 it's kind of a shame. I can understand it. Maybe it might be good for gamers. But I feel like other companies like Sony and, and um, Nintendo haven't really tried to really put a nail in the coffin. You know, I mean, there was a time when Sony was making Kill Switch and that was supposed to be their shooting game. And they've kind of abandoned it and just let it go. So that's not fun, right? That's not really competitive. So I really would like to see that, um, you know, Sony step it up or Nintendo step it up and do some other devastating things and really shake things up. But it, it's been kind of quiet for a while. It seems like everyone's happy just making their money. So seeing Microsoft say, no, we want to we wanna put a nail in the conf- coffin. We want to dominate. I think that was the biggest move in business that I can think of when I look back at all the podcasts, all the things that trended this year. That is a huge, huge deal. And um, I applaud them. I applaud them for taking the money, investing in their future, investing in their library. I think if you look at their streaming service, they have a lot of good games on there. They've bought a lot of indie games, stuff like that to add it. But having Activision Bethesda, Bethesda games on there, that's, that's huge. 
Uh, Bethesda is also a publisher, so they own the rights to a lot of other games I'm not too crazy about. But again, it's a lot of games to add to their library. Um, and when you're looking at, you know, where do you want to spend your money? I think the Microsoft ecosystem, if anyone says they want to get into Xbox Live, I think that's a, that's a good place to spend money. Now, um, I wanted to say, you know, the last one I was going to do was going to be entertainment. The award for this, the most entertaining thing this year. And it's difficult because I feel like movies and TVs is always going to be a bit separate. Um, and I feel like there needs to be two awards here. So like the most entertaining maybe TV show, uh, most entertaining like movie, right? Now, games could have been the most entertaining thing also. But this year, you know, uh, Elden Ring got the, uh, the award for art. I felt like that I didn't need to also give it to games. I didn't want to make this a whole game award. I wanted to give something for everybody. So we're going to have to do like, you know, subsections here. The most entertaining TV show and most entertaining movie. Maybe next year we'll just put them into different categories. But the biggest TV show this year for me had to be Better Call Saul. Better Call Saul was a show I was not crazy about when it first came out. I watched, I watched maybe the first two seasons and fell off and didn't finish it. When I knew Better Call Saul was ending this year, I binged the first three or four seasons, got caught up, watched the last season as it came out live, and I thought overall it was phenomenal. I think it is right behind, and in some situations, it can be considered on par with Breaking Bad. I know some people might think that's a sacrilegious thing to say, um, but I watched both shows back to back. I saw all of Breaking Bad. I saw... All Better Call Saul, and they follow a very similar formula for the pacing. The, the original seasons, one, two, and three of Breaking Bad are pretty slow. Um, it's a very slow burn, just how it is for Better Call Saul. Walter White's amazing, um, of course. You know, and I mean, I love Saul Goodman, but Walter White is an icon, right? I don't think, um, I mean, but I feel like Saul Goodman is also like a take-the-cake icon. You think of like the like sleazy lawyer, right? Like he's going to be a legend in that way, Um and so, I mean, I don't know. I'm not going to say he's better than Walter White. I'm not going to say that. As a prequel show, it should have been horrible. Those spinoffs and those things that aren't usually planned out in advance are usually horrible. And Better Call Saul exceeded all my expectations and gave us some very, very entertaining TV. And they took that character and went way, way further than I ever really anticipated them going with that character. I thought it was a great addition to what now I think you consider the Breaking Bad universe. And then... um. Yeah, you know, El Camino, eh, I, I saw it, was like, eh, it's not, it was, you know, it's kind of its own thing, whatever, maybe, maybe that show just doesn't work well as a movie, but um, overall, you got three things there, right, you got a little, little stew cooking, some, some little franchise things going on there, I thought that was super cool, so Better Call Saul, I thought was, it had to be the best TV show this year, uh, my personal favorite, right behind it, Honorable Mentions, is going to be White Lotus. I really like White Lotus. It's a very different kind of show. It's hard to explain why that show is so good. Um, I think that show says something and not in an annoying way. It's not preachy. It makes you ask some questions. It creates conversations about a lot of topics in our lives that we can relate to. Um, but the show is shown to you beautifully. They have beautiful locations, great acting. Um, and just, it's a very fun show to watch. I really enjoy watching it. I uh, don't mind watching week to week. It's always a good episode. And another honorable mention for the TV is going to be The Bear. The Bear, I believe, is on Hulu. And it stars uh, Lip from um, Shameless. And I was really surprised. But that show was really good. It's about cooking. It's about, it's not really about cooking. It's about family and problems. And 
It has some of the elements of Shameless. I feel like it's almost like a spinoff where like Lip goes off and becomes a cook. Um, but it was a really, really good show. And it did not end the way I thought it was going to end. And I'm really looking forward to season two. So if you haven't seen The Bear, that was like a sleeper hit for me this year. And then, um, yeah, I think those are all the things for TV that I really wanted to mention. So finally, the granddaddy of them all. What did I think was the most entertaining thing of 2022? Might not be a surprise to many of you guys if you listen to the podcast. Um, But I'm going to have to give it to Top Gun. Top Gun Maverick was, I think, the most entertaining thing that happened to us this year. We are lucky that we got to see it. It's an amazing, amazing product. And like I mentioned before, if you guys are, you know, not saw it for some reason or you don't want to, you know, watch a Tom Cruise movie because you're still out on him for, you know, old things in the past or whatever, just stop. Just stop. Go watch it. Uh, the story, tremendous. The acting, tremendous. From the older actors and the newer actors, everyone in that cast did a great job. Visuals, spectacular. So many new things I have not seen. The camera put in so many different places. The cinematography, amazing. This is not a situation where you feel like it's full of CGI. It seems like somehow they're putting cameras in places that normally don't put cameras, especially when you're considering, you know, I don't really know what it is like to be in a jet. And when you see them do it, it doesn't feel like a fake CGI or some kind of like cardboard thing. It's it seems like there's somehow a, a real camera in these jets, and they I think they might have actually done that. Um, but so many amazing visuals, and they the this, the movie has a strong fast pace. There's high stakes throughout the film, and it goes really all the way to the end. It is an adrenaline ride, and I got to see it in a great theater, which I think helped a lot. At home, I watch it with this you know surround sound on. Um, but also the story. Just the story told quietly is a beautiful story. So many beautiful messages in there. So many things that people can take away when it comes to their themes about, you know, I think, you know, what do things matter after time has passed on? Legacy, um, you know, fatherhood. So many great stories in there. Um, and then also, I think Mavericks, you know, his his whole wanting to be or feeling like that his he was created to do one thing and what that really means. I think these are all stories that we can relate to in some kind of way. So I saw that, saw it with my mom, she loved it, it was amazing for her, and I've been surprised that all my friends that have seen it, everyone who's given it a chance, they've all come back and said they liked it. I've heard no one say anything negative about Top Gun Maverick this year, um, again, beyond maybe some hater stuff, if they have some kind of bias towards you know, the actors or the company or whatever, I don't know. But Top Gun Maverick, I feel like, wins it for the year. So for what it's worth, that Samurai's, you know, 2022 year wrap-up. Thank you guys so much for rocking and listening with me this year. I'm I'm looking forward to stepping the game up and stepping up the podcast, finding new ways to get this stuff out to you guys, find new ways to improve it, and keep on adding some more monumental episodes throughout the year, some more eventful episodes. We're going to keep it going, having a great time. This is, I feel like I just got started yesterday. This is all brand new to me still. And um, yeah, I have a whole lot of stuff planned next year. We're going to see how it goes. But thank you guys so much. I hope you have a great New Year's Eve. This will be the last podcast of 2022. So I'll see you guys next year. (laughs) Ha ha, in the future, right? I'll see you guys in 2023. Peace.